Suite's Win Trade Global Talks is presented to you by Dr. Yvonne Thompson, CBE, founder of Win Trade Global, and her partner, Yulia Stark, and features Kubi Springer, internationally renowned brand consultant and speaker. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Yvonne Thompson. I'm the founder of Win Trade Global, and well, I I do this every week and I'm hoping most of you will know and understand who I am. But what I do want to do, I want to hand over to my wonderful partner in crime, as I call her every week, uh, Ms. Yulia Stark, who will start our presentation for us. So over to you, Yulia. Thank you, thank you, Yvonne. Again, you're you don't like to talk about yourself, but let me introduce Yvonne. She's my an amazing friend of mine, but she's a very talented woman who's been supporting different uh, initiatives for women, for minorities, for women in business over I think the last 24 years actively. And this initiative, like uh, Winter Global Talk, is a new one to support you during these challenging times and uh, during the uh, global pandemic times to get you inspired, to give you tips and tools so you can still grow yourself and your business. Well, uh, my name is Julia Stark. I'm the uh, founder of Fab Academy. This is where we help women to start up their business and also the president of the European Women Association. And this is where we help female founders get funded through business angels and venture capitalists. So as you know, we had Wintrade Global. It's our yearly beautiful event in London, end of June. But this year we had to cancel it because of the pandemic. And so then we had a new opportunity to talk with you and to share with you. And this is like the Wintrade Global Talks, uh, as I mentioned before, to help you stay connected, to help you network still during these challenging times where we can see each other, we can give each other a hug or shake a hand. We still manage to create something beautiful. And it's our weekly Thursday evening uh, networking sessions. And there, Yvonne and I, we are again there often with our speaker who's live there, not for the whole session, often it's just maybe 10, 20 minutes, but they are there where you can still connect and ask questions to them as well. And during the networks, our goal is to help you to grow your businesses during the Thursday sessions. <laughs> right, so um, coming up next, we are gonna have the fabulous QB Springer. And what's really great about most of the speakers that we present from this side is that we seem to have known each other forever. We can never really remember how and when we connected. But as I say, most of the people that I know who are absolutely fabulous women, we had her on last week, Ab Fab, uh, uh, Lynn, and but we seem to have known each other for what I say is a hundred years. So long relationships. But before we go on to QB, we will, but next week we will be having Renelle Lundell, who is one of the directors and vice presidents over at MasterCard. And she's going to be talking about what MasterCard can do for small minority and women owned businesses, as well as telling us a bit about how MasterCards see the future economy and how small businesses can survive in that. What else can I say but wonderful QB Springer? This is your Wintrade Global Talk. Over to you.
Well, thank you so much, Yvonne and Yulia, uh, for having me. And hello, everybody. It's an honor to be here. As Yvonne rightly said, my name is Scooby Springer, and this is my Wintrade Global Talk. So as the video showed, my name is Scooby Springer. I'm a brand specialist, and I've been doing this for 24, nearly 25 years. I started my career in 1996. Can we just pause for a minute? Whenever I tell that to millennials, they look at me like I'm an alien, like 1996. I'm like, yes, child. So I started in 1996. And in the first part of my career, I loved all things entertainment and media. And I started off as an intern in the UK for MTV. And then when I finished my undergrad, I went and I lived in New York City. And my career in brand marketing really started with this guy called Diddy or P. Diddy, or Sean Diddy Combs, depending on how you might know him. I started off as an intern with him, and I really understood the premise of brand marketing and got the foundations to brand marketing working underneath Diddy's marketing agency called Blue Flame in New York. That led me to work with some great brands like Justin Timberlake and Mariah Carey. Uh, it got me to work with Nike doing Nike Midnight Madness, head of marketing for the MOBA Awards by the time I was 26. I was part of the team that launched the Sex and the City movie into the UK market. I worked with Rio Ferdinand, the footballer, when he was looking to develop his brands beyond being a footballer to what we now see being kind of a football presenter. So I've had this kind of career of working with with these amazing brands. And the first 10 years of my career was very entertainment and fashion heavy. Uh, and then when I got to about 30, I realized that there was something that was missing. And what was missing was what I basically do now. And I started the beginning of going out and teaching the formula of brand marketing. I continued working with big corporates. So in the last 10 years, I've worked with Facebook, I've worked with Rolls Royce, Aston Martin, etc. cetera. Um, but the thing I love the most is the teaching aspect, basically what I'm doing right now. So today, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on how you build a personal brand during this digital era. And where this topic has come from is two years ago, I got asked by Bloomsbury Publishers to publish a book. And they were quite keen for me to publish a book around personal branding, very much targeted at women in business. And the brief was, can you take all the celebrities that you've worked with and can you tell us how to market our brand? And I thought, well, that's not going to work. But what I did do is I sat down and I thought about what is the process that I use with some of these celebrity brands? What is the process that I use with some of these corporate brands? What is the process that I use with some of these influencers? And that process is really the formula that I put in my book. And a chapter within the book is all about the digital landscape. How do you build a personal brand across digital? So this talk today is whether you are working for somebody or whether you are running your own gig and you're an entrepreneur or you're an intrapreneur or you're a solo entrepreneur or you're a mumpreneur, right? All the names that we've got, irrespective of what title you might have, all of us right now are in the premise of building personal brands. And so how do you do that digitally? There's a couple of things that we need to do, and I'm going to I'm going to give you some pointers and then I'm going to turn to a presentation I have uh, that gives you some tools. So the first set of pointers that we need to think about, number one, we need to think about if we're looking to present ourselves across the digital landscape. The first question that clients always say to me is, Kubi, 
Should I be on every platform? You know, do I need to be on Facebook and Instagram and uh, Snapchat and LinkedIn? Do I also need to be on Twitter and this new one called TikTok? Do I need to be everywhere? And the premise is no. You do not need to be on every platform. You need to be where your potential clients, customers, or tribe are. So wherever your stakeholder groups are, that's what you need to be. That's where you need to be. But then it goes beyond social media because then people say to me, well, you know, so-and-so is doing a podcast. Am I meant to do a podcast? Or so-and-so has got a YouTube channel and, and they've got a, you know, a, a vlog. Am I meant to have a vlog now? Somebody else is doing a blog. Should I do a blog? Am I meant to write a blog? Like all of these digital channels, how do you decipher which one is right for you? And the way that you work out what channel is right for you is by being very clear on the end game. What is it ultimately you're trying to do when it comes to digital and your personal brand? Number one. And number two, what is comfortable within your personal brand? So, for example, if you find that you're one of these people like me and you can talk for England, child, if you're a chitter chatter and you like the camera and you're comfortable on camera, then doing a vlog might work for you. But actually, if you're somebody that prefers to not be on camera, but you still got great communication skills, then maybe doing a podcast is right for you. Or actually, if you hate all of the above and you're much more of a writer and you enjoy putting pen to paper, then build a blog for you, right? So it's really about not trying to take a round circle and put it into a peg. Don't do that. It's about making sure that you find digital channels that sit with your brand personality, that sit with your comfortable skill sets. Now, does that mean that you can't learn how to do video? Of course you can. Does it mean that you can learn how to do podcasts? Of course you can. But I always say to people, when you're starting in the digital landscape, find the platforms where your tribes are and use the channels that work most comfortably with who you are. Because the reality is this. If your content is good and it's adding real value, then the channels that you use is less important. It is much more about the content that you use and the way that you market that content. So that's the first thing when it comes to building a personal brand digitally. The second thing is that when it comes to your social media, it is imperative to know what is my social media mission statement. And with each one of your social media platforms, you need to be clear on what is your social media mission statement. So as an example, for my Instagram, my Instagram social media mission statement is to give you a sneak peek behind the scenes, behind the brand. So you can see what I'm getting up to. You might get a sneak peek between my work-life balance right now with me and my daughter because, you know, we're all here trying to balance okay, our lives and this new normal. So you might get a sneak peek with that. With my Instagram, the mission statement is about empowering you. So with my Instagram, as an example, you'll see Instagram lives that are coming from a place of how do I empower you to keep going? and keep moving forward and keep pushing as somebody who is in business. Whereas my LinkedIn, the mission statement is about evidence. My LinkedIn is much more about showing you articles that I have been published in or articles that I have written and have been published or testimonies from clients or videos like the one that you just saw where I'm working with corporate clients around the world. My LinkedIn, the mission for LinkedIn is about evidence presenting. 
about showing whoever's following me on LinkedIn or who chooses to find me that actually I am the real deal. My Twitter, as another example, is all about being a listening platform. With my Twitter, it's about who do I follow? What trade publications am I following? So that I am being inquisitive when it comes to my industry, I am still learning for my industry so that I have more to be able to give to my clients. Each one of your social media platforms should have their own social media mission statement. What is it that you are trying to do on this particular platform? Now, underneath the mission statements must obviously fall the overarching purpose of your brand. So you shouldn't have mission statements that are not what we like to call as marketeers on brand. In other words, they need to be concurrent with your brand values, your brand mission, your brand vision, your brand archetype. They need to be concurrent with what it is your brand is doing. But separately and individually, they need to have a focus. Now, you might say that each one of your social media platforms also has a focus on the end user. So you might look at your whole stakeholder group and say, OK, for my Instagram, like I do, I focus on women who are starting in business. That's what my Instagram predominantly is focused on. Solo entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs for micro and medium sized businesses. My LinkedIn is focused on my corporate clients and my Twitter is focused on press and my media landscape. So you might say, actually, each one of my social media platforms has a different audience. And therefore, the mission statement sits underneath my umbrella brand. But the mission statement is for that particular demographic. What is it I'm trying to do for them? How am I trying to show up on the digital landscape and serve them better? What you do not want to do when you're building your personal brand, and I see so many people do it, is what I call the copy and paste method of social media. Oh, I'll put this on LinkedIn and I'll copy it onto Twitter and I'll paste it onto TikTok and I'll paste it onto Facebook and I'll paste it onto Instagram. That doesn't work and it should not be the approach. You really want to segment your audiences and segment your messages. The next thing that's quite important when it comes to building your personal brand across the digital landscape is being clear on your brand style. Now, it's interesting because whenever I work with, with uh, corporate clients, when I work with individuals, everybody automatically, when they get on social media, they want their corporate voice and they put on their corporate voice. And all of a sudden, everybody starts to look the same and it is boring. There is no differentiation in the marketplace. So what gives you part of your differentiation is your brand style. And your brand style includes things like the way that your images are presented, you know, the, the filter that you might choose to use on your images, the way that you shoot your images. Not everybody's comfortable with the kind of profile images that go out there. There are some people that actually say, I want really it to be about my work much more than it's about me. You know, your images in that sense might just be a picture of your hand writing or typing or, or fixing or sewing or whatever it is that you might be doing, drawing that architectural piece. They might just see your hand, but really the focus is on the work. What is the style of your imagery? My imagery, as a, an example, is all action imagery. Whenever you look at my imagery across my social media, particularly on my Instagram and my, and my LinkedIn, I'm in action. I am doing something. I am moving. I am going somewhere. Why? Because as a brand specialist, 
I'm, I'm going somewhere, right? I'm global. My clients are international. So the imagery reflects the deliverables that I do as a brand. The imagery reflects the global client base that I have. So you'll see images of me in Paris. You'll see images of me in Singapore, etc. What is your image style? Number one. Number two is what is your brand voice across the digital landscape? Now you might think, Kimmy, what do you mean by your brand voice? Well, your brand voice is all about how do you sound? How do you communicate? When I read your post, is it the same brand voice when I read your blog? Is it the same brand voice when I hear your podcast? Is it the same brand voice when I meet you in person at a networking event? It is super important for you to be clear on what is your brand voice. So for example, with me, I am a very informal person. I'm a hugger, uh, you know, when we're allowed to hug, <laughs> right? I'm really informal. And that doesn't change. Whether you book me to speak at Deloitte or Barclays Bank, or I'm at Vogue or London Fashion Week, or I'm in Middle East, or I'm in New York, or I'm in London, it doesn't change. I am who I am. And it's imperative that your authentic self not only comes across when I meet you, but it comes across in the way that you choose to communicate across the digital landscape. So, for example, on my Instagram, I call my tribe the boss squad. So you'll hear me go, hey, boss squad. Equally, when I'm physically in front of them, I'll be like, say, I am. And they'll be like, my brand, right? That energy, that effervescence comes across all my digital touch points because it's about consistency of brand communication style. The last thing you want to think about when it comes to your style is what we call your brand archetype. Another way of saying that is your brand personality. Your brand personality will fit into one of the 12 brand archetypes. Now, I haven't got time today to go through each one of the 12 brand archetypes, but I'll give you an example of a couple. Uh, if we think about somebody like Michelle Obama, okay? Michelle Obama, her brand communication style is warm and down to earth. Her brand archetype is the caregiver. She falls underneath the caregiver brand archetype. That's the person or the brand that wants their customers or their end users or their clients to feel like, wow, they really care about me. They really get me, right? Another brand, a corporate brand that falls under the caregiver would be Dove. So that's Michelle Obama. Uh, another one is Richard Branson. Richard Branson's brand archetype or brand personality is adventurous and empowering. And when you look at the 12 brand archetypes, Richard Branson falls under the innovator brand archetype, or another way to call that is the magician. The magician brand archetype is the one that is also like Adobe. It makes an end user feel like when I get hold of this brand or when I engage with this company or when I use these products, I can do anything. I can make it happen. Right. So that's Richard Branson. Uh, when I take myself, for example, my brand uh, communication style and thus personality is always informative and it's always educative. Can I say the word child? No, I need my coffee. <laughs> and it's fun. And when you actually look at my brand archetype, my brand archetype is the sage. The sage brand archetype is the one that wants to change the world through information. So the BBC is the sage brand archetype. Kubi Springer is the sage brand archetype. So it's really important for you to think about when I'm positioning my brand across the digital landscape, what is my brand style, both in images, in communication voice, but also in personality. And then the last thing that I want to leave you with before we go to the slides is most importantly, remembering that branding is a business driver. 
So all of these people that I hear say, oh, I want to get a thousand likes. Why haven't I got a thousand likes? And they're obsessed with the numbers. If the numbers are not converting to leads that convert to sales, who cares about the numbers? So your brand, when you're building your personal brand across the digital landscape, you want to ask yourself the question from the very beginning, how is each one of these activities falling within my marketing and sales funnel? And if you do not know the answer to that question before you start your podcast, before you start your webinar, before you relaunch your website, before you choose to go on Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook, if you don't have the answer to that, then my question to you would be, why are you doing it? Is it an ego boost? If it is, child, that's an expensive hobby. Okay, really, you should be doing it because you're saying, I already know how this piece of content is going to feed into my sales funnel and my marketing funnel. So what I'm now going to do is I'm going to give you some tools that you can use. I'm one of the trainers. I hate it when people just talk at me, but they don't give me any tools to take away and actually get started. So here are the tools that we're going to look at today. The first tool that you can use is what we call the digital sales funnel. So the digital sales funnel it starts off by looking at the top bit, which is what we either call exposure or awareness. All of your marketing activities should be happening in the top area. And what happens is, let's take, for example, you choose to do an Instagram Live. So you do an Instagram Live, that falls within the exposure area. That Instagram Live should have a call to action that makes people intrigued enough that they want to discover who you are. So that call to action might be, you know, go to the rest of my page to see X, Y, and Z, or click on my website to read more about this in my blog. You are taking them off of the digital platform that is not owned by you, and you are feeding them into the beginning of your sales funnel, which ideally should be your website that is owned and controlled by you. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is so important. Oftentimes, people say, I'm just starting, you know, I haven't really got much yet, therefore, I haven't got a website. Or, you know, I'm an executive, my CV's there, I don't need a website. Everybody needs a website. If you're an executive, you should have a resume, a CV, or a portfolio website. If you're an entrepreneur, even if you have just a holding page, you should have a website. Now, there's a number of reasons why you need a website, but one of them that I'm going to focus on today is about how you take people from the awareness that you've been doing digitally into the beginning of your sales funnel. The reality is this. Mark Zuckerberg owns Instagram and Facebook. You do not. Which means if you spend all your time building this amazing Facebook group and now you've got, you know, 1,500 people in your Facebook group, whoa, me, and Mark Zuckerberg, decides to close down your Facebook groups, what can you do? Not much. In fact, you can't even pick up the phone and call Facebook and say, oi, Mark Zuckerberg. So because you do not own that platform, it's imperative. If you are building your personal brand, even if you start off with a holding page or a basic resume website, that you have one. And there are various different tools that you can use, Square, uh, Space, Wix, etc., to be able to do that. So at the beginning of the sales funnel is all about the exposure. You want to then take them off of the digital platform, your LinkedIn, et cetera, onto your website so that you are capturing data and you are capturing consumer behavior on your website. 
When they're on your website and you, they, they, they're there at that blog, as an example, you then want to move them into consideration. Now, consideration stage is where they are basically thinking, hmm, I might like this. I want more. And so you want to take them from discovery or interest to that point where they're considering. At the consideration stage, you then need to tip them into a conversion or a sell. Now, some people go, whoa, I've got a sell. That's amazing. Job done. Look at me. No, child. You got a sell. But there's a rule of thumb, which is 80% of business should be repeat business. So in other words, for the one customer that you have, you shouldn't be saying, oh, I've got them. Now, where do I get others? What you should be saying is, how do I keep them? How do I retain them? How do I build on them? I often say to my clients, it is easier to get the second pound from the customer who has spent the first pound than it is to try and find customers who will spend the initial pound. In other words, it is easier once Kubi has spent money with your product to get me to spend more money than it is to find loads of Kubis. So for those of you who will come to me and you say, Kubi, I need to increase my following. I need more customers. I'm like, pause. What about the customers you already have? How are you building that? How are you using social media to keep customers, to retain customers, to build customers up your sales funnel? At each section of the sales funnel or the marketing funnel, there are actions that you can take. And for the sake of time, I can't go into all of these in depth because at awareness stage, that's when you might be doing things like your blog or your webinars um, or your viral campaigns or your search engine optimization or your paper clicks, etc. That's all happening here in awareness. And the principle is that you want to generate leads. That is what you want to do. You do not want to generate likes or comments if they are not converting into leads. Now, you might think, well, how do I convert them? If somebody is liking a post, you should be going onto their social media page, discovering who they are and returning the like. That is building digital relationships. If somebody is commenting on your post, it is rude. And it is brand suicide to not comment back. Because what that is doing is it is taking them from just hmm, awareness to actually, I might now be interested. And you do that enough and you build those relationships enough across your digital platform. What you're now doing is what we call in marketing, lead nurturing. So with lead nurturing, it is all about the engagement. It is all about the introduction to the proposition. So at awareness stage, you should be doing what we call brand marketing. By the time they are interested, i.e. they are liking a few times, they are commenting a few times, they're hitting you up on your, um, your direct messenger or your DMs. Now you should be really presenting the proposition. What differentiates you from the marketplace? That then leads them. And, and within that, as you can see, that's when you start doing things like your newsletters is about really honing it down to the proposition. Uh, your targeted content is about honing your proposition. When you then get to consideration stage, consideration stage is when people are leaning into your brand and now they want some specific information. 
They want to know things like, well, what is the product information? You know, what is the delivery times? If you're B2B, it might be things like with me, what is the price for this? Is there a payment plan? What extra materials might they get off the back of booking me as a speaker, as an example? They might want to know things like if they book me as a speaker, am I also going to promote them on my social media? Right at this point of consideration, it's all about product information. And it's here where you need to think about things like automated emails. In other words, if somebody is on your website and you're seeing they're coming back again, again, your Google Analytics should be showing you now is the time to set up automated emails so you can send them an email and say, hey, I noticed that you put something in your shopping cart, but you didn't buy. I wonder if you might be interested in this. Or it might be, I noticed you opened my newsletter. Would you like a virtual coffee so we can discuss this in more depth? That's when they're at consideration stage and you want to start using targeted content to now convert them. So converting them is really about intent, evaluation and purchase. So intent is where you might have things where you're saying, okay, I know you're here. I know you like it, but now I need to tip you over the edge. That's where things like video marketing comes in. Video marketing is so good. Because what it does, as my video did, is it shows the proof. It is where all the social proof comes in to say, now that person's the real deal. Let me buy. So your video marketing will come in here. Your product demos will come in here. Your sales ads will come in here. And then lastly, when they are at this final part, evaluation before purchase, do not stop marketing. Because what might happen, and I get this all the time, People will see me at an event and they'll be like, hmm, that QB Springer, well, she was okay. Then they'll follow me on social media. And then the very beginning of the sales funnel, that awareness stage on social media also be, ends up being the evaluation stage. So when you're thinking about your social media mission statement, think about if my customer is at awareness stage, what do I need to be offering? And if my customer is at evaluation stage, in other words, they have been all over my website, they may be seeing me in a couple of networking events, and now they're thinking, hmm, should I buy? And they go to my LinkedIn, or they go to my Twitter, or they go to my Facebook or my Instagram. What content is there for evaluation stage to now tip them into a purchase? Okay, good. So now I'm going to move on. So now you know that you need this sales funnel. I want to move on to some practical tools that you can use to really start building your content. So there's a whole list of tools that I asked my team to pull together and provide for you. Um, and so one of those, if you're thinking, oh, God, I'm not very good at taking pictures or, or, or graphics design. I don't have the budget for a graphics designer. Then I would encourage you to look at Canva or any of these social media tools that allow you to create content. A really good one for video editing and for photography and editing is InShot. And you can go to all the W's, InShot.com. You can go to Canva.com, etc. Now, once you've built your content and you've made it look good, which is amazing, I want you to think about the organization of your planning when it comes to your content across building your personal brand digitally. So one of the things that's great for Instagram is something called UNUM. And UNUM, what it does is allows you to plan out the look and feel of your Instagram before you post. Oftentimes when I'm working with clients and I'm like, your Instagram looks a silly mess, child, you need UNUM. And it allows you to, to plan it so that you can then post. 
Uh, Mondays.com is another one that allows you to start putting in how you're going to plan content creation, promotion, and also customer service management, which moves me on to this your CRM systems. It's really important if you've got people that are going from awareness and they're filling out forms and they're on your database, how are you now making sure that you're putting them into a robust CRM system? So some good ones to use, everybody knows about Salesforce, a little bit expensive, but there's a really cheap one on the marketplace called GetResponse. If you built your website with Wix, they also have one on the back end. So here's some systems that you can use and then lastly is storage, making sure that your content, you know, we all know when it comes to our mobile phone, it, it just gets filled really quickly. So making sure that you're using digital storage for your content so that you can be reusing your content and not just deleting it off of your phone. So that's my presentation. Uh, data protection is important. I, I'm conscious of time, so I'll say to you, read this in your phone. That's my presentation all done. <laughs> Wow. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. That was really content rich. There's so much we've learned in just a few minutes. So thank you very much. It's like you've downloaded everything in your head. I'm sure that's not everything. I'm sure there's a lot more. Yeah. Um, there is more. I even made notes. I was sitting <laughs> down and writing it. Like, oh my gosh, I'm copy pasting my content on LinkedIn and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so thank um, you so much, it was very valuable. Yes, yes. What I wanted to ask, you didn't really say too much about Facebook. So what are your thoughts on Facebook? Because I heard you speak a lot about Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. Mm. Tell us about. Well, I, I think with all of these platforms, Yvonne, it all depends on your end user. If your customer base is still on Facebook, then be there. And, and I think it's important to keep evaluating these platforms because they move. Yeah. You know, a lot of us, we kind of think, oh, I'm on Facebook and that's it. Now I'm going to sit with my loyals. Um, but the reality is, is they move. You know, TikTok is a new platform that's come that we all think, oh, that's for the kids. Give TikTok another two to three years. People will be learning how to do business on TikTok. So what you want to do is you want to always identify where is my customer base? Where is my end user? Where is my stakeholder group? And you go where they are. And as they move, you adjust your strategy. So personally, okay. I don't think Facebook is dead in the water. I, I think that for some people, it's still a really good platform. It's not mine. For some okay. Okay, Julia, do you have a question for QB? Yes, I do. For the last eight years, I've been working through the Fab Academy with women who are just starting the business. And the question I always get asked, like, oh gosh, I don't have the marketing budgets to promote my lead generation form on Facebook and Instagram. What are the strategy, or what is your advice that, what are the strategy that will help a starting business owner scale faster? Mm. So whenever I'm working with people who are starting, I always say, start as you mean to go on. So this idea that I don't have a budget and therefore I'm going to be she-woman and take it all on myself is ludicrous. So from the very beginning, you should be saying, are there members of my family? Have I got young children, cousins, nieces, neighbors' children? who might want a little bit of pocket money to help me across the digital landscape or might want the experience. You know, I had a, a, a really interesting email request from someone who works at one of the highest levels at King's. 
university. And they said, right now, these young people, they cannot get jobs. They're coming out with great degrees and they can't get jobs. That means they're dying for experience. They need your business as much as you need them. So mm -hmm. from the very beginning, you should be thinking about how do I attract interns? How do I get people working with me? How do I build strategic partnerships yeah. so that I'm not doing it on my own? You know, if you're part of this glorious network and somebody here is an accountant and somebody okay, is a photographer and somebody else is a makeup and somebody else does good copy, you've got a team. Support each other's businesses. You should never be doing it alone. And it doesn't require money. It doesn't. I didn't have money when I started. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I hope everybody's listening. So we can so we can come to you as one of our strategic partners. <laughs> okay, we've got Vanessa Fernandez, who is one of our premium members. Hi, hello. Hi, QB. Thank you so much. It really was amazing. I got so many notes, so many points from your talk. Thank you so much. My question, I'm going to be quick because I know there's other people that have questions as well. So my business, I'm a multi-brand hair cosmetics boutique. I supply salons and I also retail online via e-commerce store. One of the problems that I have with branding is that I often feel like my brand sort of gets lost in the middle of me working with so many brands because, you know, when I'm selling other people's products, I heavily invest in their brand because obviously their success is my success. But I'm often struggling to sort of not allow my brand voice to kind of, you know, disappear in the sort of sea of brands that I work with. Mm. Okay, so I think there's a, there's a few things that you need to do. Uh, number one is you need to be very clear on what your brand stands for as it pertains to representing these other brands. And that then gives you the differentiator because your brand should be seen as either, as an example, the connector or the, the, the brand to go to to be distributed globally or the brand to go to to get the education to be able to propel your brand. Your brand should be seen as a hierarchy of all the brands that you promote. That gives you the differentiator. If your brand is seen on par and thus a competitor, you've lost before you started. Okay. Yeah. So everything about your content, when I meet you in person, when I meet your staff, when I go on your website, that mission of your brand should be very clear. And if it isn't connector, then that's what I need to see. Because then actually what happens is the brands that you're promoting will inadvertently promote you because they'll say, this brand is so amazing, it enabled my brand to connect in this way, as an example. Okay, thank yeah. you. Nice you. I think with that, for now, we will... Yeah. I think we've got some questions that have come through. Oh, well, pick one and answer it. Okay. Um, how do you decide what to spend in terms of time and budgets across different platforms? That's a brilliant question. Uh, there's some general rule of thumbs when it comes to marketing spend. First rule of thumb is that if your business is generating less than 250000 you shouldn't be spending any more than 7 to 10% of your gross revenue. I'm going to say that again for those who are taking notes. If your business is generating less than 250000 per year, then you shouldn't be spending any more than 7 to 10% of your gross revenue on marketing. Now, I'm going to, and, and equally, I'll go on the other end of the scale. If your business is generating more than that, then the scale goes up slightly. So 12% um, if it's somewhere between 250 to a million, and it goes up in accordance. 
for the premise of those of you who are now thinking about your time within that spend, it is very important for you to know what your hourly rate is. Period in business. Even if you're starting up, you should be saying, this is my hourly rate. And so if you're spending eight hours a day <laughs> on social media, then calculate that and what you're spending in terms of the budget that you are putting towards marketing. And if there's mm. no balance, then there is a problem. That's number one. Number two, this is slightly off-brand, but because we're talking money, and I know a lot of you are women, I want to go here, if that's okay, Yvonne. I wanna yeah, go please do, please do. Okay. It's so important to know what your rate is, even if your customers can't afford you right now. And one of the things I say to women is we never, ever value our brand time. And what we do is we go into these meetings, we go into these pitch sessions, we go into these networking events, and we undercut ourselves every single time. And then we wonder why we end up that in that statistic of 40% of women retire broke. It's a horrible statistic, right? So to not be in that statistic, this is what you do when you start out. Be clear on what your price point is for your time, and then be willing to negotiate based on value of money. So I'll give you an example. My, my price point for someone to book me for a corporate gig to speak for an hour is 10 grand, okay? That's the price point. Now, if I go to Southeast Asia, they never pay 10,000 pounds because they just don't have those budgets. And if I go to the USA, they pay more. So we go in with 10 grand. Now, if they have less, the question always is, what are you going to give me to the equivalent of what you're not paying? In other words, if you say, oh, Kubi, woe me, woe me, I've only got five grand. Okay, but what are you going to give me for the equivalent of the other £5,000? What clients are you going to introduce me to? What promotions are you going to do for my brand, etc., etc.? So whatever your rate is, you go in with your rate and you ask the question, what are you going to give me to the equivalent of the shortfall? You never just say, I'm going to do a discount, ever. I love it. Brilliant. Love it. Brilliant. There is a saying, name your price and uh, add tax to it. So Absolutely. like name your value. We need to evaluate as much more than we actually do. Absolutely. I have a saying, you value what you pay for and you pay for what you value. Absolutely. So, wow, my head is buzzing. So I'm looking forward, Kubi, to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kubi, yeah. and speak to you soon. Thank you, Kubi. Bye. Speak soon. Well, anyway, so it was again, again a very valuable talk. I think with that, I'm going to go and drink some water. Oh, more than water. It's already, no, it's somewhere 5 p.m., you know. Oh, so <laughs> thanks again. Speak soon. Bye. 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 Bye.